With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. Coming to you the day after Iowa knocked off top 10 rated Minnesota 23 to 19 and the last six top 10 opponents to come to Iowa City in the month of in the month of November uh, five of the six have left losers mm. as um, Iowa really came out and was pushing things in the first half I uh, started Tyler Goodson at running back. Uh, one of the few true freshman running backs to start the last time I was started a true freshman running back was 2012 with Greg Garman. Uh, he lasted a cup of coffee and transferred after that season, got injured actually uh, early on in that year. So it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, they got the ball, they got the ball in the hands of playmakers. Um, Goodson is a difference maker. I think that uh, Wally Pip time is what's going on in that Iowa backfield because th- there's no reason for him not to, not to continue to start games for Iowa. Uh, Tyrone Tracy had four or five touches in a row there. I mean, he is a great playmaker. So it was really fun to see Iowa, you know, with the, their foot on the throttle kind of reminiscent of what they did in the first half against Ohio State in 2017. In the second half, I think Minnesota made some adjustments. Minnesota decided not to play the arrogant brand of defense that Ohio State chose to in 2017, meaning that Ohio State really never dialed up too many blitzes. Minnesota brought more pressure. Iowa had 69 yards of offense in the second half. Hmm. And Minnesota had more first downs. Minnesota had, um, gosh, 431 yards to Iowa's 290. 23 first downs to Iowa's 17. Um, Minnesota only had 63 yards rushing. But, and, and I mean, at the end of the day, Iowa hung on. They did enough. It was a nice, solid win. Some fans afterwards saying, where was this type of uh, offensive attack early? I, I just don't get hung up on that. It is what it is. They lost three games to teams that are currently ranked, uh, what, in the AP top 13 by totals, by, you know, by seven points to Michigan and held Michigan at 10. That's their season low, I think. Um, or is that – no, Wisconsin blanked them, didn't they? No, we had 14 against okay, Wisconsin. Okay, 14. So the 10's your season low there. Penn State had 17 against Iowa. Iowa lost that game by five and 17 ties the season low that Penn State has scored. Uh, and then they lost by two points to Wisconsin. And then they beat a ranked team. And Iowa right now is two and three against teams, you know, ranked in the ESPN FPI top 19. Iowa State is 19. So, yeah, I mean, offense hasn't been great, but you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because Iowa's got a shot with Illinois and Nebraska left to go to go 9-3. and three. And you and I said all summer long that if this team goes 9-3, and three, that's a heck of an accomplishment. So this game, I've got two perspectives on this. One, just this game individually, and then two, just thinking of Iowa football in the bigger picture. Let's start individually. This game was interesting for me because – with the acquisition of Sports Illustrated, you know, we've got a, I've got a website, uh, Wolverine Digest, that we use alongside my Michigan podcast. And then the network that hosts that site acquired Sports Illustrated a couple of months ago. And, and so now we're part of the SI network. And, and there's this expectation level of professionalism that goes along with that brand 
from on high that when I started working with this network was not there. And so what it means is I'm on a deadline. When Michigan gets done, I have to write a column to be, distri to be distributed on the SI network shortly after the game. And this, I've got to get that done first. And so with Michigan playing a noon Eastern game, the 3.30 games, well, Iowa was actually in that 4 o'clock slot. I didn't get to that game because I didn't get all my other duties done there until halftime. And so, mm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I've got the ticker on while I'm writing because, you know me, I can't ever do one thing at once, you know. So I am aware of what's happening in the game. I'm just not watching it. And it's 20 to 3, and I'm just thinking Minnesota came in here flat. I was just pounding the rock. It, it's the comeuppance, you know, the Vegas line, the whole trap thing. They, you know, the guys out in the desert do something we didn't know. And so when I turn this game on in the second half, I am, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm amazed Iowa got out to a 20-3 to lead. I didn't see Iowa do anything offensively at all. Um, I mean, I, I, when I hear fans, Iowa fans say, where was his offense all year? You, well, that's 290 yards. That's pretty much what you got in the games against Penn State, Michigan. Iowa State. I mean, in the other be, big games yeah. Iowa played, that's pretty much the yardage total that they had. All right, was what they had at the end of this game. Um, I, you know, Minnesota was not minus two or three in turnovers, right? No, they only their only turnover was their last play of the game when they yeah interception. the interception when they had to throw it up on the fourth and twenty whatever. Yeah, well, because typically when you're out analytics say if you're out gaining a team that much, you've got to at least usually at least be minus two in turnovers to lose the game. Particularly when it's not just that you're out gaining them, but the other team has less than 300 yards, right? So, I mean, if it's like a shootout game, and, and so there's more points, therefore there's going to be more randomness built into the algorithm, right? And one team has, you know, uh, 620 yards, and the other team has 489 yards. You can get enough randomness with that much offensive output by both sides that, uh, you know, an offensive pass interference call, an empty possession uh, in the red zone, yada, yada, yada. And you can still lose the game like that when you're being outgained that bad without being plus two or something in turnovers. But when you're sub 300 total yards and you're not plus two in turnovers and you're still winning a game like that. Um, I, I, and then when I went and studied the box score after the game, I don't know how in the world Minnesota lost the game. Mm -hmm. Except um, to, to watch some of their game management in game in the second half. All right. Um, the, the penalty on P.J. Fleck there running out on the field. And then the, the ref said afterwards that didn't cause a change of possession. I'll take their word for it there. But, you know, his, his thing afterwards, while I was going out there, you know, because I thought my player was hurt and I'd do it again, um, uh, no, you wouldn't. And you didn't know your player was hurt that fast. I mean, literally, he was out there right as the whistle was blowing. He was out there. Okay, so I, I think that's a young coach who lost his composure in that situation. Um, and that happens. I think the game management situations, uh, you know, the use of timeouts, everybody's going to point to what happened there where they had to call the timeout on that final possession. So they were one, down one timeout. But, but I look at the, you know, and I was tweeting about this in real time at the bigger 10 uh, account. I didn't understand you're down by two scores and you're taking five some odd minutes off the clock. You have to understand if you're PJ Fleck, who you're, who you're coaching against. All right. Yeah, you're coaching against the longest tenured FBS football coach in the country in Kirk Ferentz. But this is a guy whose DNA is NFL. Right. Iowa's brand of football is the NFL. He comes from the NFL. And, and he's, play, he's playing you like this is the NFL. 
you, you know, what, the reason why about 80% of NFL games over the course of a season will be decided by one score or less, meaning eight points or less because touchdown and two-point conversion. The reason why is because the way every team plays in the NFL is when they're up by two scores at the end of the game, they just let you uh, pad your fantasy stats and get a garbage time touchdown and, um, and win the game. They, they, don't, they, they slow the tempo of the game down considerably uh, because they're, they're, this, is the, this is the NFL style points. There's not a committee. You're not out trying to impress anybody. It's really just about W's and L's. And it's like the seventh tiebreaker is point totals, all right, you know, which almost never come into play. There's a better chance you'll get a bat uh, infestation like what happened at the Alabama-Mississippi State game uh, then you're going to need a tiebreaker on points scored to make a playoff spot in the NFL. And so everybody plays this way. You can have your garbage time touchdown. We don't care if we win by 11 or four. We don't care. You can have it, um, you know, and uh, we'll see you next week. We're just going to take the W. And Ference was just perfectly content to let Minnesota play that way. Minnesota kept playing that way. It took over five minutes to score that touchdown uh, when they're down by two scores and I don't know, you've got the superior weapons on the other side or on, on your side with those receivers. You've got the momentum in the second half. Why you're not pressing the accelerator there? And I, I really thought that uh, the, the, the veteran coach lured the young coach into what he wanted. And the young coach just went right along with it. And, 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 that, and that played itself out like an NFL game. And that's how most NFL games end, John, if you watch the Sunday Ticket or Red Zone Channel – most NFL games end like this. When, when the team has a two-score lead, the other team gets a score, then they might get the ball back, but then everybody knows it's a passing situation, and so it's a total pin your ears back uh, going after the quarterback. And if, unless you're, it's Aaron Rodgers, chances are that's going to end with a, a sack or an interception. I thought Brian Cook of MGO Blog had one of the best lines I have seen anybody have this entire football season – when he said watching A.J. Epinesa move inside in passing situations was like watching Godzilla emerge from the sea. Okay? <laughs> and and uh, just completely and totally an unstoppable force. And if you go back, I mean, Minnesota had four plays there and Epinesa had a hurry or a sack on all four, on all four of them. Just couldn't, they could not block him on the interior of that line. So um, I, I thought the, I thought, I thought this was, a program that is used to playing in games like this, used to moments like this, the stat that you cited there at the top about what happens to top 10 teams. I, I still have some emotional scarring from being one of those teams uh, a few years ago. Uh, what happens to top 10 teams that come into Kinnick really at any point in time, but especially this time of year. And I think this is a program they have not been ranked this high uh, since 1967. They haven't been, had this good of a record since World War One, since actually before the U.S. got involved in World War One, And I think half their schedule was against high school teams. So this is just rarefied air, man. I mean, they're climbing, they're climbing Kilimanjaro, and they just reached a height of, of, the, of the mountain, Minnesota, that they just haven't been to yet. And they, and they started looking around and looking down and, and had their breath taken away. And meanwhile, the Iowa program, they're the grizzled climbers here. They, they've done this before. And while they often don't reach the top, as Iowa fans are, 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 are you know, are will, often uh, willing to point out, they have been higher up that, that peak than Minnesota has, far higher, and up higher 
many more times. In many respects, this looked like an Iowa-Wisconsin game. It's just Iowa's the Wisconsin here, and Minnesota was the Iowa. And I thought that Iowa lured Minnesota into its game management trap. E.J. Fleck, for reasons he'll probably regret the rest of this season, went along with it and played along with it, got in over his skis in a game management situation, and, uh, and, and the game was ultimately played when it mattered the most at Iowa's tempo, and I thought that was the difference in this particular game. So in the first half, Iowa ran 26 plays for 221 yards, 8.5 yards per play. And by Iowa standards, that's like opening things up. That's high productivity. Obviously, first of all, over eight yards of play for almost any offensive standard is really good. Right. So, so you can understand why some people in the first half are saying, "Where's this been?" As mm-hmm. if, as if you're going to average eight yards of play every week just because you made one change. It's just probably not going to happen in Iowa City. But yes, in the second half, it was, it was drag them. It was, it was boa constrictor stuff. Um, and it wasn't like Iowa wasn't trying, but it just, it was a little bit different. And I think Minnesota made some, made some adjustments. And I, and I felt this way while I really <laughs> watching Minnesota is pretty fun, actually, with the weapons that they have at receiver. And those guys are just really good. Tanner Morgan, um, were it not for probably Justin Fields, he, he, he would be first team all Big Ten. Maybe he should be anyway. He is, he is one of the most accurate throwers I've seen. And he, he got away with a couple of uh, bad throws, one of the worst dropped interception balls an Iowa defensive backs ever had. Um, and, and then that was, on the same, that, was, that was on the same series that Fleck would eventually run out onto the field. And a few plays later, A.J. Epinesa had another you know, strip sack um, that, that Minnesota also recovered. So the Gophers dodged a few bullets there. But by and large, I mean, Iowa holding them, to I think 63 yards rushing for the game, uh, something along those lines. When they came in, averaging almost 200 yards per game rushing on the season, uh, just just a great great performance. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. So Iowa's got Illinois next week. So Iowa was able to stay inside their head. I guess it wasn't that great of a week of practice last week, but they they showed up on game day after losing to Wisconsin and that Wisconsin game was their third loss and everything that they wanted to play for was pretty much out when Wisconsin won their game against Nebraska earlier in the day it it mathematically eliminated Iowa from any chance at Indianapolis yet they came out they did that and next week is a sleepy 11 a.m. start. Iowa hasn't yeah, this had is a much those. bigger letdown spot. Yeah, yes. Iowa hasn't had one of those for a while. And you're playing against an Illinois team coming off of a bye, four consecutive Big Ten wins, uh, a team that's qualified for a bowl game and is just seeing now how much, how, how what better bowl they can get mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting spot from an emotional standpoint. No question about it. And Illinois is was pretty beat up when they upset Michigan State last week. And – you know, they were down arguably the top two linebackers, maybe their best defensive lineman, one of them. Uh, you got to think at least they'll get one or two of those guys back with a week of rest. And, and they're kind of just playing with house money right now. You know, they, they are – there's a miniature version of, of, of you know I, – I, I only say miniature because Lovey Smith's personality, it's just not – his program's not built on the charisma of the coach the way it is at Minnesota's. But right now – He's just prophesying right now. <laughs> and, 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 and players are like, yeah, I believe it, you know? And so when you have that, and you have to understand that Illinois, um, it's a, it, you know, 
if, if I, I can't imagine Kirk Ferentz, there's too many guys in the Iowa locker room that really care whether it's the Holiday Bowl or the Outback Bowl or the Tax Slayer Bowl. But for Illinois to say they grabbed one of those January one bowl games or something of that nature, yeah, those that that stuff really matters to them. They have all the motivational edge here, and and there's I don't think that's even a debatable point. Now Iowa has the better personnel, and so this is going to be one of those execution games. Uh, but but on a, from an emotional standpoint for Illinois, yeah, I mean they're they're coming in here. I mean, this is, they're hot, at the, they're, on, they're on a run at the craps table right now, and they're just rolling sevens, you know, and, and so they're under the eye, they, they just think this is just going to, never going to end, you know, they're just watching the chips pile up there at the end of the table. So I, I think this really comes down from an Iowa, from an Iowa perspective um, into, into focus and execution, because Illinois is going to have the emotion and the want to. And I, I have no idea what the crowd will be there, what, what they're expecting. Who knows what the weather is? I don't know for Saturday. But, you know, Illinois is on a run right now where their players don't want the season to end because they're, they're, they're for the first time in many, many years, they're enjoying football at that school. Yeah, they are. I mean, football there hasn't even been a uh, distraction to get it to basketball season for a long time. No, the, NCAA, the, the basketball team hasn't been in the NCAA tournament since 2013 either. You know, they've been through uh, two school presidents, a couple of ADs, a couple of football coaches, a couple of basketball coaches. I mean, that university has, if we didn't have Rutgers in our league, we, I mean, folks would be asking, like, when do we kick Illinois out? That's, that's what it's been like there uh, for the last five or six years. It's just been, uh, it's, it's just been a series of, of one face plant after the other. But if you go back to the way they won the Michigan State game, John, I mean, they're, they're down 28 to three and Michigan state has the ball like inside their 10 and they're going to make it 35 to three before the half. And then a guy catches a deflected interception um, right in, in, in the end zone. And then Illinois completes like a hail Mary before the half. All right. To make it like 28 to 10. And then it's, but then they come out and so you think they've got all this momentum in the third quarter. Nope, they do nothing the whole quarter. And it's 31 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. And then this becomes, this is like a lemony Snicket novel. It's a series of unfortunate events. You could not script this. It, it, how they ended up making this game a win, it, it's, it's like they got seven years of, of bad luck. The, the football gods just decided in one fell swoop to, to, to the, the football hand, hands of football gods, hands of gods intervened in East Lansing uh, to, to, uh, to, to balance the scales. And so when you start having stuff like that going for you, you've already got your six wins, you're not playing for the division, you know, they're, they're, they're excited right now. Now, they're not as good as Iowa. Brandon Peters is, is a guy that is just as likely to throw it, make a big play for the other team as he is for his. Um, the running attack the last couple of games hasn't been great uh, as teams have kind of keyed on that, you know, aspect of their team, but they're winning games without that. You know, they lead the nation in turnovers forced and defensive touchdowns. So that's, that's another reason why this is going to be an execution game for Iowa. Because if Iowa doesn't make mistakes, Illinois, even with Iowa um, probably uh, flatlined emotionally, with all of their – 
games done. This is not a rivalry game. Last week was. You have another rivalry game the next week. Classic sandwich game spot. Um, so this is – there's only so much emotion in the tank. But Illinois has thrived off of taking advantage of the mistakes of their opponents. So, so if Iowa doesn't make mistakes, chances are Illinois cannot win. But, you know, I, I, even if they don't make those mistakes, I don't think this is going to be I, – I, I don't see a scenario where, where unless – even if they knock Brandon Peters out of the game, I, I don't see how Iowa wins this game by three touchdowns. I, I think this is the kind of game Iowa either loses or wins this game something like 21-10, to 10, um, 17 to 6 something like that. Yeah, I think that um, – I definitely think there's a possibility for an emotional letdown spot. One, one thing I want to bring up before we go, you and I also all summer long were – warnings probably a bit too much, but we were, we were strongly intimating that if you expect A.J. Epinesa – to duplicate his 10 and a half sacks from his junior year as a senior with all the attention he was going to be getting this year, you're probably going to wind up being disappointed. And for much of this season, um, AJ has been the recipient of quite a bit of attention. And I think he's had a fantastic year, frankly, uh, two and a half sacks though, in this last game against Minnesota, he's got an outside shot to get to that 10 and a half before all is said and done. And, um, I, uh, I strongly urged people last night when I recorded the uh, instant reaction podcast to enjoy these final three games, because, uh, those will be the last you will likely be seeing of AJ in an Iowa uniform. Dude's a, dude's a pro. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I got a hot, I got a scorching hot take for you. Are you ready? This one, oh, this one, this one is coming yeah. in. This is like Randy Johnson to John Crook at the 93 all-star game. All right. So you don't know where this ball is going. All right, this thing might go behind you. you. You might swing and a miss. You might be bailing out to save your life. You're not sure. All right, so I'll let you decide. I'm just going to throw the pitch, and then you decide whether it was a strike or not. Fair enough? Okay. Okay. I, I actually think this is one of the best jobs Iowa's coaches have done in Kirk Ferentz's 20 years is this season. Hmm. And let me let me now let me take a step back, okay? Because you know this is where. The, uh, the John Calvin in me, I feel the need to preemptively answer your objections before they come up, right? This is not, I, I understand if, if the reasons why I'm going to say that, there is, a, there is a group of people, which I'll explain in a moment, a group of people, uh, and I always th- it's funny, I always have Chris Hassel in my head whenever I bring this group up, because, he's, because I see him articulate this argument uh, on social media all the time. There's a group of you that I think will bring a valid point that the, that it's their own fault they have to do things this way. And, and, I, and that's, a, that's a whole podcast that like we do in the off season when there's not games going on and we do a deep dive on this for 35 or 40 minutes, right? That's a separate issue. I will acknowledge that's a valid point. But so when I say, given the talent that they have, I think they have absolutely maximized it. If your argument is, well, their job is to get better players or develop better players than this, that's a separate conversation where we can look at how they did with this particular team compared to the past and whether you think that trend line will improve in the future or this is maxing out the Iowa program, right? Those are, that's a longer existential conversation, okay? Mm-hmm. But in terms of this particular season, I mean, if I, you know, we, we talked all this offseason – 
and, and, you know, about two themes that came up that were reoccurring looking ahead to the season. You just brought up one of them, which was the focus and attention on AJ Epinesa and, and the fact that he's going to get double and triple teamed constantly. Secondly, not to mention, now that he's on everybody's radar, there's a lot of offensive linemen that are now thinking, dude, I want to be, get myself on tape blocking this guy for the NFL next year or the year after. So that now that now you're not shocking anybody anymore. They've got guys are in there doing reps on the bench thinking of you now. They weren't doing that a year ago. All right. And the second was the was the was the road schedule that I was going to play this year. Iowa State on the road, Michigan on the road, Wisconsin on the road. Um, and that's not even counting Penn State at home, who's got a far better record. Penn State's analytics say they're about as good as we thought they were going to be before the season. They've just won more games than their analytics. All right, so we, we thought this was one of the tougher schedules that Iowa's ever had, and I thought it was arguably the toughest road schedule I've seen a Big Ten team have in, you know, uh, in, in my time, not just watching Big Ten football, but covering it professionally. And when you look at, if, if, with those two things, if, if, you, if, if, I would, if I could have said, go, go, let's go back to August before the season begins, and if I, could, if I just told you, John, I went to the future, you want to know how the season ends. You said, no, I want to live it out. I want to enjoy it. I said, cool. Let me just give you a couple of hints. Iowa spends the whole season establishing no running game whatsoever, really, by, by their own standards. Nothing that you can really rely on as a bell cow, number one. Number two, the analytics say Iowa State is a top 25 team. Number three, Iowa is out of the Big Ten West Division race with three weeks still to go. If I, if just, and I could throw a few other things in there too, but if I just threw those things in there at you, John, and, and I said, after I'd been to the future back in August, and said, now you tell me, John, what you think their record is this season. Tell me what you think it is. I, I would have I said it would have been more than three losses. Yeah. Quite a bit more, and also, and also, if you could have told me in the future, which you wouldn't have, because that would have undercut what you just said. I, this is something that just popped into my head. Iowa has, Iowa has been ranked in the AP poll um, every week of the entire season. Yeah, every week. So, Iowa manages to escape Ames with a one-point win in a game where. What was it? 2006. Our friends over at Hawkeye Film went and looked this up. Was the last time a Big Ten team won a road game when they were minus three yards per play differential? Wasn't that something like that? I don't recall. It was. It was more than ten years. I remember that. It was more than ten years when they they looked that up. It was more than ten years. So they they escaped there with a win. They they played Penn State, Michigan, uh, and Wisconsin. You mentioned right now, uh, and when the college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday night, those three teams are all going to be in the top 13 of the college football playoff rankings. And they lost to those three teams by a combined, what, seven, two is nine, 13 Five. points? Yep. Okay. Three, three games to the top, thir to top 13 teams by a combined 13 points. Oh, and let me throw this in, too. too. And I, I went to the and I came, went to the I went back to the future. I came back home and I told you back in August. By the way, Minnesota is going to have the best record it's had in a hundred years. But just no, no, no running game. 
Minnesota with the best record it's had in 100 years. Analytics say Iowa State is a top 25 team. What would you have told me their record is? You're thinking, dude, I wonder what Detroit – I really Seven and five, quick, yeah. Yeah, I, I really wonder what the quick, quick lane bowl is like. That's what you would have told me. I wonder what – I guess we're going to find out what Detroit at Christmas is like. We're sitting here right now. There's a realistic shot. It's better than 50% odds that they're going to finish nine and three. That's a hell of a coaching job. And one of the things I got asked about last night on Twitter is Iowa's analytics are not great on stuff like yards per play and, and stats that build power ratings mm-hmm. for algorithms and for handicappers. Now I don't, I, I don't, the answer could be that Iowa plays a style of play that waters down as analytics. That's possible. Some years I think that's true. Meaning some years that, and, and we can probably point to seasons where they were too conservative given the personnel that they had. Okay. But this year, I think that that Iowa has overcome its analytics. Iowa has overcoached um, its its math, you know, and 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 analytics tell you it tells you what a team is is probably will do, or maybe what they should do. But it won't tell you what they will do because games are not played by algorithms. They're played by human beings. And, and I think this is a season that a lot of the things about Kirk Ferentz that has bothered a segment of Iowa fans for the last few years, I think really played to Iowa's advantage. I, I, think, I, think, I think he played possum with Iowa State and said, we're going to force you we're a beat up football team. We probably cannot win this game if we have to score more than 21 or 24 points. And this is supposed to be your year. Show us you can do that, little brother. And if you can, then we'll happily hand you the Cyhawk trophy and see you next year in Iowa City. But we're not going to go out here and, and, and play your game in your stadium. You're going to have to show us that you can play your game and take it from us. And Iowa State couldn't execute enough and made too many mistakes, including the, the punt, uh, you know. Uh, a snafu at the end of the game. I think he did the same thing to PJ Fleck, as I just mentioned, uh, you know, at the earlier in the podcast on Saturday, I think PJ Fleck got dragged into an NFL style slow burn and that's not his frenetic persona or anything else. And I think it burned him. He tried to go Jim Trestle. That's his coaching idol. You know, that's why he dresses like that. He, he's, he's Jim Trestle is one of his big personal influences. So he tried to go Jim Trestle. And Kirk Ferentz is like, I, you know, went Lloyd Benson on his Dan Quayle. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. You know Jack Kennedy. Okay? That's what he did. Kirk Ferentz is like, I knew Jim Trestle. Jim Trestle was a friend of mine. You know Jim Trestle. Play your game, kid, because I'm going to play mine. And P.J. Fleck didn't play his game. He played Kirk's. And I, I think that this team is going to win at least two more games. If it finishes 9-3, and three, that's two more wins at least – then it's analytics at the end of the year are going to say it should have produced because you didn't have an outlier. You know, we're just, we're talking right now that maybe if he continues on this pace, Epinesa will match last year's sack potential or sack production. So you didn't have an outlier on the other side where this was an unusual year where Iowa had more havoc plays on defense than they typically do in their, in their bend, but don't break style. And that, and that flipped fields and compensated for where they were offensively. Nate Stanley's going to end up having all kinds of career records at Iowa. He didn't have a career year though. You know, he's still, he's really the same quarterback he's been. He's a guy that if his pre-snap read is good, he can, I mean, he's got, he, he, the ball is there and on time. And if it's not, 
you know, it's like watching Carl Lewis sing the national anthem. Uh-oh. Uh, and, and, and he's, a, you know, he's more mobile than you think given his size, but he's also not mobile either. Those receivers didn't really produce outlier results. I mean, the, they, they, they were better than people thought, but they, you know, this, it wasn't like watching, you know, DJK or anything out there. Didn't have, you know, never really replaced those two, uh, you know, all-time tight ends. I mean, there was no outlier to compensate for these shortcomings, except one. And the outlier is the game management choices that Iowa made in, in the games I just mentioned were, were, were the differences in those games. And um, since I've been critical at times, like at Northwestern, the conversation we had last week about Wisconsin, why did you wait so long? Um, you know, I, we got to live in a world where multiple things can be true at the exact same time. Not everything is a binary choice. In the macro, doesn't mean, doesn't mean in micro situations they haven't been wrong and worthy of criticism. But in the macro, when if, they're, if they finish this season nine and three, we're going to look at their stats at the end of the year and ask ourselves, how the hell against this schedule did this team go nine and three? and win two of its three major rivalry games against Minnesota and Iowa State, when statistically those two teams were historically good by their, their traditional standards. And Iowa is going to be able to say they beat both of them. That's a hell of a coaching job in the bigger picture. You're right. Um, and Nate Stanley's never lost to Iowa State. He never lost to Minnesota, and he played them each three times. Um, last thing here. Kirk Ferentz, this is from Iowa's note package after the, after the game. Kirk Ferentz has 95 Big Ten Conference wins right now, which ties him with Joe Paterno for fourth or uh, fifth all-time, rather, in Big Ten history. Uh, the person sitting at number four is Hayden Fry with just one more win, hmm. 96. So if Ferentz wins these – if Iowa wins these next two games, Kirk will end this season sitting all alone in third place in Big Ten history for Big Ten Conference wins. Yeah, and I know there's like a minimum threshold, but if, if you've got the third most wins ever in the granddaddy of all conferences, you have to be in a Hall of Fame, okay? You have to be. Yeah. You, just, you just, you just, you just, you have to be. You, you might be the, um, uh, you know, who's the uh, Don Sutton of the Hall of Fame, you know, meaning a guy that didn't ever really blow you away with a bunch of Cy Youngs and 300 strikeout seasons and three no-hitters. He just, you know, he lasted for 20 years and won 14 to 16 games every year that he lasted, right? And that's not as glorious. You're not Nolan Ryan. You're not Steve Carlton. You're not Sandy Koufax. But the numbers at the end of your career say if you were consistently good enough for so long that your body of work belongs in Cooperstown. And if you are a top five all-time coach in wins in what is the original conference in college sports and is unquestionably one of the top two conferences in the country. You have to be in the college football. You just have to be. I would think so. I mean, he's, he's been the big 10 coach of the year four times. He was AP coach of the year. Um, one time and then another he won a na another national coach of the year multiple national coach of the year awards uh, a second time in 2015 i mean he's got a hall of fame resume and in his years at maine he went 12 and 21 at maine 
And he has a 600-plus winning percentage at Iowa. But if you do lump in those main games, um, that, that, that brings him down. Now, is, is main FBS or FCS? FCS. All right. Yeah, yeah so who, who knows? But, you know, it's that one test that you and I always did. It, any sport, any player, anybody. Is he, should he be in the Hall of Fame, yes or no? And if you don't have your answer in three seconds, then the answer is probably no. If you ask me, should a guy with the top five all-time wins in the Big Ten be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. If you ask me that way, yeah. Like, if you ask me, should Don Sutton – if I watch Don Sutton's career in, the, in major leagues, is Don Sutton a Hall of Famer? No. Is a guy that won 300 games and had 3,000 3, strikeouts, should he be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. yes. There are some guys that their profile doesn't have the pizzazz with the name brand – but if you looked at their top-line accomplishments and asked it that way, then you would say yes, right? Mm. And can I throw one more quick thing in there? Yeah. The one thing about what I just said, though, you know, the analytics give it, then the analytics take, the, take it away. That Iowa, if they end up 9-3, and three, would have given their analytics probably won at least two more games and their analytics say they should. These next two games are really dangerous from an analytical perspective for Iowa. Because a lot of the emotional edge, a lot of the game management, a lot of the pressure of the situation, that stuff's totally off the table in these next two games. You know, Illinois, we've already talked about that. They're coming in here, man. This is just, you know, they, they, came, out of a, they, they came out of the trailer park, you know, with their last ADC check, canceled, cashed it at, at, at the check cashing usury joint, went over to the Meskwaki Casino, and they've just been hitting seven since last Friday night, and they're on their ninth pack of cigarettes and their, their you know, 17th beer. That's, that's Illinois right now. Analytics, analytics I'm, on a, I'm on an all-time great run here. They don't care. And then Nebraska, this is going to be their bowl game in a couple of weeks. This, is, this will be, you know, the send-off to the end of the season, and, and, uh, and, and, and you're gonna, Iowa will get their best shot. Now, who knows how good that is? I mean, Nebraska averaged eight yards of play against Wisconsin and was never a threat to win the game, right? That should, like, never happen. Like, you can lose a game if you are averaging eight yards a play, but you should never have a game where you're averaging that, but you're never in position even threatened to win it. But, but those are the kinds of games now where the, where the things that Iowa has done in those games we just mentioned in order to leverage game management situations, I don't think come into play in these last two games because – I, those sorts of emotional edges and everything else are kind of off the table now that Iowa's macro goals are off of the table now. And so I think that's something to keep in mind too, that these analytics would say these next two games are where you see the regression to the mean, that, that Iowa has been uh, over outplaying the math and that eventually the math catches up to you. We'll see. All right. That'll do it for this podcast for Steve and John. We'll talk to you soon.